Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome to the show. I'm going to keep this one very, very short because I just want to get onto it. Like, you know, what what a guest, what an opportunity. Uh, so quick shout out, Real Vision, you know what to do. Go check them out. $1, 30 days, thousands of hours of content. No brainer. Let's get on with it. Right. Welcome to today's show. And uh, our guest today is none other than Peter McCormack from the What Bitcoin Did podcast. I can't believe I'm getting the chance to sit down with you, Peter. It's surreal to see you. And um, thanks for responding to me and, uh, and to Lauren. Um, welcome to the show. Um, thank you so much. Also for agreeing to have a, although you're drinking wine, you don't drink, you don't drink beer apparently. No, I don't like beer. I, I mean, I will, there's certain times like, uh, if I went snowboarding at the end of the day, a cold beer is always really good. Mm. Uh, but I just not, I just don't like beer. I'm not a big fan of it. No, I'm a wine, per- wine or whiskey. Well, why don't you like beer? That, that, that isn't that isn't my question. That isn't my question. It's just, why don't you like beer? Do you know what, Lauren? You can ask as many questions as you like. And it's a shame Scarlett isn't here. You two could just talk to each other. But um, uh, why do I not like beer? So there's a few reasons. The first reason, Lauren, when you get to a certain age, that beer is a big drink. And if you go out with your friends and you have five or six of them, you keep having to go back to the toilet. So that's the first reason. Because you get to our age, and you you just have to go to the toilet more. So that's one of the reasons I don't like beer. Secondly, I don't really like the taste of it unless it's certain beers. I like a white beer or a wheat beer. Um, I think it's and I think it's not so much that I don't really. I think I just like wine more. And there's there's very very few chances where you have to choose between, like you can't get a wine or a beer. So I just prefer wine. What do you like? Do you like a wine? Um, I like an alcoholic beer <laughs> that, Do you? That, that, that has a good taste, and I like wine, yes. Don't, don't <laughs> okay. tell anyone I taste well, like wine. When Peter gets out of quarantine, he'll have to come and visit us in France yeah. uh, because we've got I some good wine. <laughs> would yeah. love to come and visit you in France. I would absolutely, I will bring my gang, we will come down and we will visit you. Uh, I, be, I bet you like a little bit of champagne as well, right? Oh, we love. Uh, well, they love champagne. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, right. I, I don't drink champagne. <laughs> I'm just a nine-year-old. Well, right. now, shall we get to your um, your okay, actual yeah. first question and okay. um, kick off the interview as you like to with the uh, the nine-year-old Bitcoin question? Okay. Uh, how many countries, right? Have you been to for your Bitcoin adventures? Oh God, that's a great question. That's a really good question, and do you know why? That's a really good question for a couple of reasons. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you a few things that go with this, Lauren. Okay, so firstly, about ten years ago, somebody said to me, "How many countries you had you been to?" And I didn't know how many I had, and they said, "Well, your target is your age." And I said, "What?" I said, "You should try and go to as many countries as your age, because it always encourages you to keep visiting new countries." Because every year yeah, you need to, sorry. every year need to go to one more new one, so so that really hit me. And it's a really funny time for you to ask that question, because it was last year I finally hit my age. I was forty one, 
And in December, I got to, I think it was Bolivia or Uruguay, and I hit my age. But even funnier, let me show you this. I mean, nobody listening will be able to see this. But I now actually keep a list. Where is it? I'm sure I've got it here. Uh, where is it? Where is it? You've asked a Some... great question here. Yeah, so I have got the list somewhere. Maybe it's not. Uh, maybe it's on a different app. I won't waste time trying to find it now because we're going to try and do the interview. But I have got the list down now, and it's about forty-three countries I've been to in total. But for That's the podcast, right. for the podcast, I would say very quickly. I reckon I've probably been to say twenty with the podcast. How many countries have you been to? Um, have you been to four? About forty? No. Uh, yeah, twenty or thirty. I'm not exactly sure. We'd have to. That can be your homeschooling project tomorrow. Yeah, here it is. Uh, so I've got forty on here. Okay. Yeah. Um, but this needs updating because it, it doesn't have. I think this year where I've been to, I think four or five new ones. And also, but what I do do, there's ones, if it's only traveling through an airport, so for example, Argentina and Brazil, uh, I've only just changed flights there. That doesn't count. I have to actually visit the country. But you, at nine years old, are way ahead of your age. (laughs) (laughs) So did that answer your question? Yes, but you hate flying, don't you? I hate flying. I really, really don't, don't like flying. And do you know what? Last year, I did 92 flights. And every single flight, I, I don't like it. I've got better. And there's planes I like and the planes I don't like. So I would rather go on an 11-hour flight in a A380, which is the uh, the double-decker plane, to LA, than do a one-hour flight in a little plane. Uh, oh, Yeah. And uh, the reason she knows that uh, Peter doesn't like flying is because uh, we saw that scene on your um, on your recent Venezuela uh, yeah. video, and she found it very amusing. That, uh, yeah. You were... So a little um, bit scared. Flying. So I've well, got a question for you, Lauren. You got a question? You got to be quiet now. I have got a question for you. So obviously you've heard of Bitcoin. Yeah. But why why do you care about Bitcoin? What is important about it? Okay, that's a very good question. <laughs> um, well, it's important to me because if well, I don't really have any point. It just it's important to me. Well, are there any things you like about it? Anything that stands out to you about it? What do you think of when you think of Bitcoin? Mm, I just think of it like a um. Like a good company. Oh, it's like a good company. <laughs> <laughs> like that, yeah, like a good company. I just think it's like a very good company. That's okay, interesting. Do you know how many Bitcoins there are? Oh, uh, what? Do you know how many Bitcoins there are? You know, I can't yeah. remember. Do you know who invented Bitcoin? Um, I, I know it's a guy. Well... We assume it's a guy. If I gave you his first name, do you think you might get a second name? I'm not sure. His first name's Satoshi. I'm giving you tough, unfair questions here, aren't I? Yes, shall I give you, you shall I give you a fairer question? Let me give you a fairer question. Okay, Lauren. Do you know what you want to be when you grow up? Yes. There we go. Should, should, should I just... Yeah, <laughs> um, it's, it's not. It's not a yes or no question. I want to know. <laughs> well, my dad orders me to make coffees for him, 
And I got used to that because I know what to do. Okay. So now I like to own my own cafe. <laughs> oh, a little cafe in the south of France? Uh, yeah. That accepts Bitcoin well, only. I would come to your cafe. Uh, not Bitcoin only. Like, <laughs> like I, I write Bitcoin, but like not just Bitcoin only. Well, you're a better business person than your dad. <laughs> right. <laughs> do you want to ask me anything else? Let's think. No, I don't have anything. Well, if you can't think of anything, you can all you can you can always yeah. get your dad to message me, and then hopefully at some point when all this strange strange situation blows over, we'll come and visit you in the south of France because it's not very far. Wait, I think I've got a question. Oh, okay. So you said you've got a ten-year-old daughter. Is that your only one, or? Yes. It's my only daughter, and I also have a son, and he's going to be 16 next month. Oh, so he is two years older than Caitlin. Oh, your sister. Right, yeah, yes. my, sister. <laughs> okay. my sister. My well, sister. Yeah, so she's 14. Caitlin's 14. Mm. Well, Connor's 15, so he's not 16 yet. So so he will be. he will probably be more interested in coming now. There you go. And he can, he can come canoeing on the river, can't he? Oh, yeah. In the summer, the river is perfect yeah. to come swimming. <laughs> I, I really like the south of France. I've been there a few times. I've been, well, I'm not sure if exactly in the south of France. I've been to Biarritz and I've been to Carcassonne. And I can't remember the other place I went to, but there's a place in the Dordogne that I went for a wedding. I used to go running every day around amongst all the uh, the daffodil food. Not the daffodil food. What are the, the sunflowers? Sunflowers. <clears throat> sunflowers. I used to run run past the sunflowers every day, and it was lovely. And there was this. So I would happily come back. And there was this big chateau. Have you been to the chateau? But there were chateaus everywhere when we were there. <laughs> okay, so there's a. There was a <laughs> You're just going to chat all night. Yes, Why I don't am. you say good night to Peter? Daniel, you can go with Okay. Uh... <laughs> Laura, Laura, lovely to meet you. Yes, you too. Be good for your dad. Hopefully, we'll meet in person yeah. at some point, and uh, be keep making your dad coffee. Okay, bye. Bye. <laughs> good night. Good night. Thanks, Peter. That was uh, excellent. No worries. So, how's it all going with your podcast? I didn't know you'd launch one, and it's a funny one because I talk to a lot of people online or Telegram or thing, but I'm sure we've been talking for a while. I'm sure yes, you've been messaging Twitter. me for a while. Um, <laughs> yeah, I thought you had. I can't remember why originally. Uh, probably just to say thanks because um, I, I discovered your podcast back in October, November. Um, it was uh, okay. Yeah, I'd been listening to so many. I can't believe I hadn't come across yours. And I was speaking to a mate, and he's like, "You got to listen to uh, Peter McCormack." And then I was like, "Wow, yeah, this is crazy." <laughs> like, oh. I think about fifteen in a row. And then um, reached out via Twitter just to say thanks, uh, love the content. And then you put up, actually, you put up, um, it's a podcaster's story, isn't it? Uh, the procrastination around starting a podcast. But you put up a tweet, mm. how to start a podcast. Yes, like 40, tw- 40 tw- yes. tweets or something. And then I reached back out to you uh, via DM just to say thanks for that again. And I was looking into it and, and whatever else. And here we are uh, a, f- a few months later. Here we are. And how many how many shows have you done? 22 this is and how are you finding it really good fun like um amazing uh you know the people that you get to speak to and interact with the the way people have been so willing to help and uh you know put you in touch with other people and respond like like yourself um 
it's just been it gets echoed a lot i think that this kind of um thought that this this space is like no other any of us have ever worked in before would you say the Uh same yeah absolutely In, in on in many different ways good and bad i would say i think there's some things i think are brilliant about it and there's some things i find really ugly about it uh I, but i've got so much from it so mostly i'm i'm very appreciative of what it's given me in terms of my life what 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 made you get off your backside and start a podcast about bitcoin just a just series of events. Yeah, I haven't told this story for a while, but it's just a series of events, Daniel. I, I used to work in advertising in London, had a relatively successful agency, 35 people. Uh, but then I got divorced and uh, ended up having to kind of choose between that and my kids. I tried to do both at the same time and it just didn't work because of the commute. So, And it started to, started to struggle. It, because I was sales and CEO, you know, when you're running the company, you're essentially your head of sales strategy and you're the CEO. Uh, but I was highly distracted with my children. Uh, so it started to kind of fall apart and then collapsed. And at the time seemed so awful. And I, I, I was, funny, I was with my son uh, yesterday just talking about it all. And yeah, at the time it felt awful. And I, I'm really now in hindsight, I'm really glad it all happened because uh, I think I found a I found I found a job I just really enjoy. I would never say it's I don't want to say I'm good at it. I just really enjoy doing it. And um, so what happened was I went through just a series of awful things: the divorce, drug problems, and I ended up uh, having to. I kind of hit the rock bottom. The the, the and that was just a where I ended up in hospital for, for stupid reasons. And I was then suffering from panic attacks and depression, like all, all these awful things, really very cliche. But what happened was I then just turned the corner, um, started running, took a year off work. Uh, and I ended up at a yoga retreat in Italy run by this guy called Rich Roll, who's a vegan athlete, really, really great guy. Uh, I was listening to his podcast a lot because I was running as well, because he's a bit of a, an athlete. And then I ended up, he said, look, if you ever want to, if you're ever in LA, say hello. So I took that as a invite, just booked a flight to LA. I went, all right, here I am. Uh, and uh, I, LA ended up becoming a, um, an escape for me because I, I was still not very happy in the UK. The, the, the My marriage breakup was a really, really hard thing to go through. Really struggled with it for a long time. But every time I'd get out to LA, I'd feel great and, a lot happier so I, I was out there one one trip I, I was getting into the bitcoin thing doing a bit of trading and i just turned around to him and said look rich i think i'm going to do a bitcoin podcast there, there weren't many around then uh, laura shin had her podcast and uh, i can't remember if the bitcoin uncensored thing had ended but uh so i just i just said i'm going to launch a podcast i he told me all the equipment to buy told me to check out the pat flynn course i'm not sure if i told you to check out the pat flynn course but so I bought the equipment and then I messaged Luke Martin, who was living in LA. I said, look, I want to make a show. And he said, yeah, and, and that was it. I ended up starting the show and here we are two and a half years later. Man, and what a show it's turned out to be. I mean, have you ever stopped and pinched yourself at like what's happened? All, all the time. Honestly, I feel so lucky, Daniel, um, because if I hadn't have done this, I don't know what I would be doing. I'd probably still be commuting again into London and maybe still working in advertising. You, I, like my, my career in advertising wasn't that successful, but it, it got me to a point of a certain standard of living. 
in that I have a, a an okay house. It's not a big house, but just like a good, nice, normal house. I've got a car. We could have a holiday each year. You know, it's a it's, it's a good standard of living. But to maintain that, I would have to have found a job, you know, with a similar uh, salary to do that. I mean, I could do, I could have done it, but it would have meant commuting to London and not seeing the kids so much. And what I ended up getting with this was something where I could work from home, be around the kids, and still, you know, keep our house because I nearly lost my house through all of this. So I managed to keep my house, but just found something I, I really enjoy doing. But there, there, there's definitely been a couple of moments where I pinch pinch myself. Uh, one of them was after you know I've got this other show Defiance, so I ended up in Taiwan. I had the opportunity to interview Tai Young Ho. I'm going to pronounce his name wrong, but he's the most senior defector for North Korea. The Alex Gladstein from the Human Rights Foundation said, "Look, we've got an event on in Taiwan. Do you want to interview him?" I'm like, "Yes." Booked a flight, got to Taiwan, and I met him in reception not overly thinking about it. And he was there with his four bodyguards because Kim Jong-un wants to kill him. And so we get into the lift. We get the lift. And they're in each corner of the lift. And me and him are in the middle. And I'm just, we're going up the floors. I'm, this is weird. And I booked a suite. And he came in. No, no, we got to the suite. And, he, and they said, wait. And they went and swept the room. And then they guarded the room and we sat down. And I, the seriousness of the interview hadn't really got to me until that moment. And I was just sat there thinking, whoa, <laughs> this is weird. So that 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 was a real pinch yourself moment. Um, and then I think, I mean, there's so many. I think also when I went out to Chile and started doing some filming and I was in the middle of a riot and I was... So there was a riot. All these people were lobbing rocks and stuff at this big water cannon van that was going up and down this street. And there was this kind of doorway, but it wasn't just a doorway. It was kind of a setback door. So me uh, and this guy were in there, and I was interviewing him with the film camera whilst this truck was going back and forth, and everyone was fighting. And it, it was so surreal. I was just like, wow, this is unbelievable. I- I could never have predicted I would be in a position to do something like this. And look, I don't want these riots to be happening, but they are happening. And to be right in the middle recording it and being able to show your, you know, your lens on this, it, it was a real kind of, again, pinch myself moment that, that th- th- this was incredible. Uh, but it, it does n- none of this stuff comes easily. There are, there are so many challenges on, on, on the way you, you, so many mistakes I've made and, like I've made a lot of mistakes and a lot of things I've learned along the way as well with it. That it's just a very, very strange process. Uh, and I'd, I'd give you one other pinch yourself moment, which is, which is also really weird. Uh, was I got off a plane in Dallas uh, at airport, and I just think I've got a, a little Bitcoin podcast. And this guy comes up to me, he's like, "Hi, are you Pete Corback?" I'm like, "Yeah, hi. Who are you?" He's like, "I can't remember his name." He told me, he's like. Oh, I listened to your podcast. I was like, oh, cool. And he's like, can I have a picture? I was like, of course you can have a picture. <laughs> so we did that. And, and that was really strange. And now that's happened about 10 times. I had it at, at Anfield. I went to watch Liverpool and with my daughter and some guy came up to me and, and I had it in Boston. I've had it on the underground. I had it center parts. And it's, it's, it's not kind of, it doesn't mean a lot in the grand scheme of things. It's just kind of like, oh, that's really cool. That, that, that shows them. Like for for people to randomly in parts of the world see you and recognize you, it's like wow. A lot of people must have seen my show, 
and or heard my show and that and that is just a really cool thing um that because you'll get this there's this whole imposter syndrome thing whereby i'm still just think of me as just some guy with a bitcoin podcast in my bedroom and if everything i do is terrible and i'm really critical of myself um so the fact that anyone wants to download my show and listen to it or recommend it to a friend or says it's a great podcast it, it always kind of blows my mind a little a little bit so yeah Sorry, it's a long answer. No, but... it's uh, it's great. And I did want to talk to you about imposter syndrome because I, I've heard you talk about it before. And, um, you know, ha- how strange it is. And not only that, like, you went from one identity to almost zero identity to a completely new identity. And I'm not sure many people really appreciate, like, uh, the, the effect that that can have on people. Yeah, it's a strange one <laughs> because... Yeah, it's a strange one because I think I know we have to be careful talking about gender and in, in the modern age, but I think just as a man, there is a a lot of your kind of your your ego and your self confidence and your identity is down to what you choose to do as a career. And so with my agency, it's nothing like I said, nothing huge or successful. We got to thirty five staff. But it's still at the same time, you know, me and my business partner, we used to go, look, look what we've built. Look what we've managed to get to. We've got this cool office in Covent Garden over three stories and this team and we're doing good work. And, and when that ended, it, I, I knew I didn't have the energy to do that again. I didn't have the energy to build that up again. And it's, I, I had a real moment of like, what am I going to do here? I, I really, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I'm not hugely money motivated. Like I like money, but. I like to have enough to live my life. To, to there's there's be very little difference in my life between what I have now and say a hundred million. I mean, I'd buy some stupid shit, but it wouldn't wouldn't mean anything. I don't I don't really care about it. I'm much more I much more care about uh, what I create than what I earn. Yeah, the identity thing is weird as well because I don't think I've actually really changed much as a person. So my agency. I was like the rebel within it. So my partner, Ollie, he would, business partner, Ollie, he would be the guy who comes to the meet in the suit. I'd be the guy still in a Metallica shirt or in a Guns N' Roses shirt. I'd go in, I'd be like, fuck this, this is bullshit. This is what we should do. I didn't care if the clients got pissed off. And actually, they always kind of liked it because it was I was always just like throwing ideas out there and Ollie would make it happen. And I actually think I'm I'm pretty much doing the same thing right now. I think you're, I think you, I think it's very hard to reinvent yourself. I think you can change career. I can't. I don't think you can ever reinvent your personality. I think that's really, really hard thing to do because I think a lot of your personality is just genetically who you are and the experiences that you've been through. So, so that thing's I think is hard to reinvent. I think you can reinvent your career, but my parents and my mum, God bless her, but my my mum and dad would say to you that I'm exactly the same as I was as a kid, and and I'm sure you are as well. Well, yeah, I'd like to hope so. Um, but yeah, like you've been through um, huge, um, huge, you know, life changes, and um, find myself on the, the weird side of a microphone talking to strangers around the world um, about Bitcoin. Which, um, you know, I think you what you're doing is such um, a stand up job. I mean, how many ep- how many downloads do you get per episode? Like on average. It ranges. Funny enough, it's actually dropped since the coronavirus thing. And I think it's because people aren't commuting, driving, or going to the gym, which is, I think, where people live to them. It ranges. I mean, I do these income reports and put it in there. 
so it ranges usually between two to three hundred thousand a month. So, and I think I think the lifetime average is about seventeen thousand. But I, I tend to track it on every month. I track it, but what I do is I ignore the previous thirty days because people have to catch up, and I do an average over the sixty previous days. And the last one was like eighteen and a half thousand. But it they will range usually from twelve. 12 to 20-ish, and then I have random ones that do 25, 30, 35, and one. I've got one with Andreas that did 100. Um, but some I've stopped chasing the numbers now, and I've started chasing the content. So, for example, recently I've been doing these Bitcoin Around the World shows where I speak to people in specific locations like Syria or Chile, El Salvador, because I've learned so much about how people use Bitcoin differently in these locations. But every time they don't do very well because – the biggest draw for my shows is that, and you're, you've probably learned this already, is who you get on. So if you get Rao Powell, you're going to get really good downloads. You get me, you're probably probably a bit less. <laughs> but <laughs> the name the name brings them in. But I've stopped chasing the numbers because I think it's important to get the content right. Mm. Like if if I really wanted to, I know how I could do four hundred thousand downloads next month. I know it. I would get Tua de Mista, Safety in the Moose, Andreas Antonopoulos. I would get all the names on, and I would pick very clever show titles. But but that's not where creatively where I am right now. Do you feel that you you feel more of a responsibility now that you have this voice that you, you need to like use it in a um, more direct way to 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 you know get to the core of like your beginner's guide, for example, brilliant. Thank you. Brilliant. Um, responsibility. See, again, that's a tough one because I don't think I'm a good Bitcoiner in the eyes of many Bitcoiners. They expect someone to act in a certain way to be a complete there's, – there's, so there's different groups, but there are certainly a group who are very much in the world of anti-state, anti-government, pro-freedom, pro-libertarianism – uh, pro-privacy, you must run a node, you must understand everything about Bitcoin, you must understand the technology, blah, blah, blah. And not that they're wrong, it's just I just don't agree with them fundamentally on on a few issues. Uh, but I support everything they do. I, I, and they're heroes to me. I love what they do and what they stand for. But I'm not making a show for those people. My sh- My show is made for the people who are going to work every day, want to make a little bit of profit, hopefully we'll get some Bitcoin, we'll learn a bit about it, but have other priorities and, and just live in this, despite everyone hating it, live in this world where we have a state and we have you know, kids and blah, all that stuff. And hopefully they'll listen to mine and once they want to become that you know, super hardcore Bitcoiner, then they, they'll go on to listen to Marty Bentz or maybe they'll listen at the same time. But also, somebody there's people already serving that market. So these guys get annoyed with me and you know, DM me and shout at me and stuff. But there's no point making that show. Firstly, it doesn't suit me as a person. And also, I would just be making the same content as Stefan Levera and Marty Bent. I don't think I need to do that. So I don't feel I have a responsibility in that area. Do you know, no, I, do you know what I feel? I only ever feel a responsibility for myself to produce what I like because that's what I've always done. And and if I'm producing something I like and people like it, then that's great. But if I'm producing something I don't agree with or I don't like, then, I, then I'm not really being authentic. 
I feel, I, I guess I feel more responsible, significantly more responsible with defiance. And I can explain that for you in a different way. Yeah. In that I'm diving into complex and controversial subjects. And I've made a few mistakes on the way. And it's very, what's missing a lot in the world right now is nuance. A good example is Donald Trump has made politics binary. I've talked about this quite a lot recently. If you're a Republican, everything Donald Trump does, you will defend. Whether it's right or wrong, you'll defend. And if you're a Democrat, you'll attack it. And I don't think that's particularly useful for anyone. What would be great, I I really like a Republican who'll turn around and go, do you know what? I support Trump, but what he did there was wrong. And I like a Democrat who will turn around and say, I really don't like Trump, but he did a good thing there. Because I think you, you get a lot more, it's a lot more objective. The problem without someone like Trump getting challenged by Republicans is that he thinks he's perfect and everything he does is right. And I think we have a similar situation in the UK. We had a similar situation in the UK with Corbyn and um, Johnson. And, and the problem with missing nuance is it's actually intellectually massively dishonest. So if I talk about what happened in terms of Venezuela, so I, I went out to Venezuela and I'm obviously highly suspicious of the Maduro regime. I suspect almost certainly that he is that elections aren't free and fair. I suspect those demonstrating in pro Maduro rallies have to because they are employed by the government or they um, or they get education from the government. Like I'm, I'm almost certainly convinced. But it's also then irresponsible for me to come in and say be pro-Guaido because he also needs looking up objectively. So there's a whole bunch of things you can do in here. And and I also know whatever I do is going to get criticized from someone's point because it's always going to feel more one on the other. To be completely 100% anti-Maduro and 100% supportive of Guaido is a, is a political bias and not is not honest. What The part of the story I tried to tell was that I... I give no support to Maduro. I, I don't think he is a democratically elected leader. I think he's a dictator. I think he's enslaved his people, and I think they have suffered. And I think it's. I think anyone who argues with the evidence and says, "Well, you know, we've had millions migrate out of the country," I think anyone who argues against that point is completely and utterly dishonest. But I do think it's important to say, well, why is he in power? He's in power because he was Hugo Chavez's elected successor. Yeah, Hugo Chavez said, I, "We should, uh, you should elect Maduro." So why was Hugo Chavez in power? He didn't start out as a as a, an authoritarian dictator like Maduro, but he he was a you know, populist and he was a socialist. Who, whether or not it's whether or not his policies were designed because he wanted power, or whether he gen, genuinely had empathy to the poorest people in venezuela he designed policies to redistribute the venezuelan oil wealth to give more opportunity to the poorest and he certainly lift them up without doubt he lifted them up so forget what people think about socialism that's what he did and the fact that he did that there are going to be a bunch of people living in that country and live in a democratic society are going to turn around and say hugo chavez was good for us i support him he helped us and if hugo chavez turned around and said Maduro is your guy. I believe, despite what everyone thinks, and despite there are going to be Chavistas there who are going to go, I support Maduro. 
And I think it's important to do that. I think you have to understand that rather than just say he's bad and everyone who supports him is does so because they've received food parcels. There will be people who naturally support him because they're socialists or because they're chavistas. And I think you need to tell that. And then on the Guaido side of things, sorry, this is a complicated way to answer your thing. But on the Guaido side of things, he does want democracy in the country. He does want democratic change. But there is a risk here that you know, people call him an American puppet and say this is an American coup. I, I, I can't ever prove that. What I can say is he did go to the State of the Union address and he did try and rally support. And who knows what's gone behind the scenes? Who knows if Donald Trump has turned around and said, look, we will support you. We'll try and help you bring democratic change. But if you do, we want you to open up your oil markets and the US put in their, their, their companies to run the oil industry. Now, that creates <clears throat> that will get the conspiracy theorists going. Ultimately, I think it's a better scenario than they have right now. But again, that comes with problems. So I think I think to tell a story like that, you've got to you've got to bring out all the nuances of this, and that is that is where you've got to be really responsible because because you I think when you've got a film camera, more than ever, you've got to tell the truth. Now, look, if your truth is wrong and someone corrects you, fine. But you, I think you've got to say what you see. And um, what I saw, what I, I put in my videos, is exactly what I saw. And my interpretation is exactly what I felt, trying to be as objective as possible, trying to be unbiased as possible. So that's where I feel a, hu a huge amount of responsibility. And that's crazy. Just listening to you talk about it, I mean, like you're so clearly passionate about, you know, the, like, this situation amongst others. And you say in the video, like um, one, of the, one of the opening gambits, it's like, you know, what is a guy from Bedford? doing out here trying to tackle this problem trying to figure out trying to work out what's going on now i think like you know if you look back like five ten years whatever it was when you're doing your marketing job you could never have ever have imagined yourself in that situation never something in bitcoin has changed you fundamentally to get you to this space what do you think mm, no i don't it, i just think it's good fortune and a series of random events because there's a couple of things you i can add into this parts of the story so when i was uh 14 i think it's 14 14 or 15 i started a magazine i didn't have much money and i loved heavy metal and rock music i thought you know one day i'm going to start a fanzine this band played in bedford where i'm from called skunk and nancy and i just bought a uh, borrowed my mate's dictaphone and I went along and I went up to Skin, the singer of Skunk and I said, can I do an interview with you? She said, yeah. And But you'll know this. The first, the biggest problem is getting your first interview, right? Because you're trying to get an interview without, I think I was trying to get an interview without a magazine. She agreed and then the support band agreed. And then I managed to get a couple of local bands, wrote some reviews of some gigs I've been to and some, um, some CDs that have been released typed it up on a, my friend Hamish's computer and then my friend Tom who weirdly has come full circle because he's now my, one of my producers for Defiance um, I went to his dad's estate agent and we printed it out we printed out 200 copies I sent a bunch of them out to the record companies and then I gave some to some friends and it was called The Plug and from that I I phoned up the record companies and then I got better interviews and better and by the time I only ever did four issues because it was so much work but in that time I mean I don't know if you'd know these bands but I interviewed Slayer I interviewed Pantera I interviewed Korn I mean if you're into heavy metal you know all these bands these bands that headline festivals 
you not heard of Slayer? Yeah, I think I have. Now, now you say it. Yeah, I think I have. So they would they they went on massive tours with Metallica. And, well, Metallica, and, everybody knows, obviously. But, well, yeah. I never I never got Metallica. <laughs> so if Andreas if Andreas Antonopoulos Antonopoulos is Metallica, I would say Slayer is probably I don't. know. Chudemista, right. you know, it's like a, a <laughs> yeah. top ten hive person. So, but it's, so originally, I very much had this thing in me where I was interviewing and and I really liked it. I just I never carried it on for whatever reason. So, it's important to know that part of the story. But also, as a kid, I was a little bit of a rebel. I was, I, you know, and it's not that I agree with these people now, but I was reading Pilger. I was trying to read Noam Chomsky, which I was failing. I was very much anti-war i've always been someone who's cared about humans and human rights and well I, I was when i was younger from like 16 to 20 and then i just got lost lost in the corporate world for 10 15 years and went but the the subjects i'm covering in defiance are from passions i've always had as a, uh, from when i was very young my, my parents would tell you that i think what bitcoin did is it opened a few doors for me to start doing this and it kind of opened my eyes to a few things I probably wasn't aware of. So alternative politics. I, I, until Bitcoin, I didn't even know what libertarianism was. I, I, all I knew was left and right politics. That's all I knew. And all I knew was a state, and you had a state. I didn't realize there was an alternative where there is no state. So it opened my eyes to that. It opened my eyes to the erosion of civil liberties from the state. It kind of opened my eyes to a lot of things like that. And I guess I read a really good tweet the other day. This is brilliant. I said it to my son, actually. I think it was Paul Graham put the tweet out. He said, he said explain to his daughter, is not he? He said, you're a key. And over time, your key is going to get refined. And at some point, you're going to find the lock to that, that key opens. And that's what you're going to do. And I think that's what this was. I think I finally, I think my key took 35, 36 years to make. And I finally found the lock that it opens. Is there anyone that you can think of that you interviewed that has like uh, impacted you in a certain way that uh, has helped you, you know, unlock that that padlock? Yeah, I can I can answer that um, really quite easily. So interview, I think it was interview twelve when I interviewed Lynn Albrook, the the mother of Ross Albrook. It turned out I was doing it on Ross's birthday and in Austin, and. It was my first show that wasn't about Bitcoin, even though it was about Bit Bitcoin is the reason it was there. We didn't, I don't even know if we mentioned Bitcoin in the interview. We just talked about Ross and the Silk Road and prison. And and I did a, a lot of preparation for that. I felt a lot of responsibility with that interview. Yeah, when you talk about responsibility, sometimes it's with, with the guest. So I did that interview and um, and afterwards I realized back then, which was right at the start of all this, that I knew I wanted to do interviews outside of Bitcoin. Um, so that one really impacted me just because I came out thinking, I I want to tell stories that people aren't hearing. A bit, a bit like why I went up to the Turkey-Greece border recently. I wanted to see what was going on and and see if there's part of the story that's not being told. Uh, so, so that really impacted me. Um, Oh, I'd have to go through and look at them. Um, I did a really interesting interview recently that didn't do that well, but it's probably one of my favorite I've ever done. I interviewed a surgeon from Glasgow who used to operate on people with uh, been victims of knife injuries. 
and there's no reason for anyone to check that out because they don't know the guy and just doesn't stand out to people. But hearing him talk about that and explain how patients would come in and the different type of injuries and how, you know, so if you get stabbed in the heart, what happens? You know, for example, the reason you die when you get stabbed in the heart is because one side fills up with blood and it bursts. So what they have to do is they have to relieve it. To, I've probably explained this really badly, but and he would also he said a re, he said something that really really stuck with me. He said he actually said that in these situations of random stabbings, he said more often than not outside of the obvious people who've gone out to murder someone more often than not, there's actually no difference between murder and attempted murder because most of the time they're just stabbing someone. They haven't studied arteries. They haven't studied the human body. They don't know where they can stay safely stab somebody. You can stab somebody in a buttock and they die and you can stab somebody in the heart and they survive. So the, the, the lot it's, it's a lottery whether someone survives or dies so to, to to prosecute them based on the outcomes of the victim is actually is actually incorrect because the action can be the same and he said he said that and that really stuck with me and that that as an interview that that was that was really important to me because i realized i need to be able to try and get these stories out there um yeah so they, they've really stuck with me wow no i've not listened to that one so i'll go and fish that out for sure um let's talk about your your recent um experience uh in the uk with the um the court case and uh everything going on there because i've kind of followed the story but i i got to it late uh i, I think those who who don't know who the players are in in the story might be interested to find out um about this this person um, that you, you went up against and why you went up against him. So could you um, just uh, help the listeners understand, like, um, fully, fully, you know, where? how did this begin and why did you step in? Yeah, so I can't tell all of this story because we're still in a legal process. Uh, to me, this is just about being an honest person and standing up for what is right and wrong. And I've, I've never liked a bully and I've always stood up to them, even at times where it's cost me financially or cost me punch in the face i just don't fucking like bullies i really don't thank you uh, I, I, I don't like bullies and i don't like liars lying is something that's a, a real problem for me and i get called dishonest all the time with some of the work i do and it really gets to me because i always try and be honest but this is somebody who i categorically without any doubt believe is a liar his name is craig wright he is he claims to be satoshi nakamoto but the reason the lawsuit happened didn't happen. The, re- the reason the lawsuit happened isn't just because I think he's a liar. It's because of the the bullying of people. Because he came out and said, yeah, he's been saying this for a long time. And I've not been always one of the most vocal saying you're not. A lot of other people have been really vocal. It was at the point where he, him and Calvin were photographed with lawyers saying, we're going to. We're going to uh, we're sharpening our whatever tools, and we're going to sue anyone who denies this. And then they started they trying to dox people, and they did dox someone, and started putting out threatening letters. And it's an abuse of the system. This isn't about honesty. This isn't about some attempt to 
to validate what he hit. It's an abuse of the system and it's bullying people and affecting people's lives with what I categorically believe a lie. So um, while he was bullying and threatening one person, I just came around and said, well, fuck it, sue me. I mean, I knew in the background, right? Like, again, I've been accused of this, been accused of doing this for attention and as marketing. It was never the case. And once, once this is all settled, we'll tell the full story of what actually happened and why it happened. But it was it was really about I thought well I've already got an audience so I can rally support behind me which I've managed to do and uh, I can take them on with their bullshit so yeah it was really just about a bully and I just don't like bullies I really really fucking don't like bullies and the fact he's lying about the you know you know calling himself Satoshi Nakamoto mm-hmm. which uh, is that what um are they suing you for libel or something or yeah it's for libel that's for libel right, okay. yeah they're suing me for libel I mean it's a it's an Australian backed by a Canadian suing me in the UK because of the libel laws. I know Craig Wright lives here. I f- it gives me a bitter taste because I've always been a, I think, a, a pretty good citizen. I've paid my taxes. I've, I've, yeah, I've been a good citizen. I think, and I'm, I think our UK's court system is being abused against a resident, and I think that itself is also disgraceful. Although they're getting their absolute asses kicked through this process, I can't talk too much about the detail. But my my expectation is that it won't last for too long, much longer. And I would be very nervous in their shoes uh, because our case is very, very strong, very strong now. Well, good for you. It's um, I'm sure it's uh, well. I hope it all works out uh, well for you in the end. Um, Thank you, and I'm sure the, the whole Bitcoin community is uh, is behind you know what, what you're doing and what you're trying to achieve and, and who you're standing up for. So, again, I think I think some are. I think um, uh, yeah, I, I I don't know what it, I have a way of pissing people off. And I think some people just want to they don't want me to win. <laughs> okay, <laughs> well, um, all right. So let's um, ask a question about. Uh, What's going on in um, in the UK at the moment with regards to um, you find yourself in quarantine, I believe, um, coronavirus. Uh, we've just been dragged through the whole Brexit situation. Yeah. What is the feel in the UK at the moment for those listeners outside of the UK that might not really understand exactly what's been happening in the last three to four years? Yeah, so Brexit's an interesting one. Um and I've changed my opinion on it. And again, I really struggle. I tell you why I, st- I get called a snowflake, and most people say you've got to be firm and make a decision. I think the, one of the reasons I struggle with complicated problems is I always try and see both sides. And perhaps that's maybe the part of me that is a journalist, the part of me that has some some journalistic <laughs> uh, integrity, is that I want to see both sides. I, I want to understand both sides of the story rather than what's good for me. So when I looked at Brexit originally it's like what is what is best for me and that's what democracy is it's what is you know, what is good for me what it should be is the politicians what can we do for you and, and and the people vote what they agree with but really it just it comes down to what is best for me in my career as a politician and what is best for the people um and so when it was first happened i didn't want it I, I, I and i am denied about it quite a bit and a friend said to me he said look the thing about europe the eu is the it's the greatest peacetime project since the second world war outside of what happened in Yugoslavia 
which really was the breakup of the Balkans, we haven't really had too much war in Europe. It's because we're one. And there was a long history of wars in Europe. And he said, it's a, it's a peacetime project. And I said, okay, that's great. And then other people explained to me that, yeah, but it's a massive socialist super state and people are disconnected from politics. And I did a show with Giacomo about it and he made me realize decentralized governance is better. I was like, okay, that's it. So I ended, I, I ended up voting to remain as a last minute change of decision. I really undenied about it. And I, it kind of came down to, I was like, I really, f- I feel guilty voting Brexit. Even though I want it, I feel like it's not the best thing for humanity. Um, and then I changed my mind afterwards. I really believed in Brexit. But my problem with it is I'm not very, I don't have a strong opinion either way. Because, like I said, I try and see everyone's side. And I think there are very good, strong, valid arguments for Remain and very good, strong, and valid arguments to leave. And anyone who denies that, I think is... I don't I don't know how you can deny that. We have a vote that was, what, 52-48? How can you deny that's not a complicated problem when there's so many different factors coming in? And, and people were lying and confusing things and... But it's it's been really, really bad for the social cohesion in the UK. There's been a lot of hatred and very angry people. Uh, and I've expressed because I use my face. Funny, I use my Facebook as a testing ground for content. I try ideas and put things out there and see how people respond and get sentiment, as I used to do on Twitter. Uh, and people got really angry with me for holding certain certain opinions. Same during the election. Um, I was very anti-Corbyn. I actually didn't vote. I didn't like either of them. But I just wanted to test the sentiment. Why do people believe in Corbyn when he's a clear, he's got clear, stupid socialist policies? But only by being really critical of him could I understand them. But yeah, so it's 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 creative. It's it's kind of ruined social cohesion. And now well, we've got this coronavirus thing that's totally gone in the way of the Brexit. I mean, I'm assuming they're going to delay it. Yeah, I assume they're going to delay the delay the negotiations now. Yeah, who knows? Um, you know, because like sitting here in France, you know, it's uh, there's so much confusion. So many um, British expatriates live here. Um, so it's uh, yeah, it's it's a weird one. It really is. And now, yeah, coronavirus, this black swan event that is just changing everything. Um, where do you see this one playing out? Like when the dust settles? Oh yeah, that's. Um... Mm, that's a good one. There's so many ways it can go, and again, I'm wrestling with this as well. I, 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 you had Alex on really the other st- day, right? Alex Spetsky. Yes, I did. Right. I did. We debated it because I put out a thing, and I knew it was going to piss Bitcoiners off, and it was going to piss off the loud ones. Because the problem is, is when you when you piss one, the loud ones who disagree will go give you a load of shit. The quiet ones who agree, and they're not going to admit it publicly because they don't want to get attacked. I know a bunch of people who agreed with me, but they're not going to put it out there because they just do not want to get attacked. And you know, they don't want someone like Francis Puglia going, you fucking bootlicker, like a moron. So again, I'm trying to look at this, all these situations objectively. Yes, I want a smaller state. Yes, I want less government. Yes, I want less tax. Yes, I want more open markets. But I've never gone, I've never reached the bottom of the libertarian rabbit hole because I've got too many unanswered questions. There are too many things that I think are utopian and not correct. 
I do so think it leads to a better world. So a lot of the ideas between libertarianism, I do think a lot of the ideas between anarcho-capitalism does. I do think a lot of ideas behind Austrian economics, but I don't think it's a panacea to solve all the world's problems. And also, how do we even how do we even wean ourselves off a state and get to that point? So, whilst I support and agree with a lot of those things i also have a bunch of friends who've got no idea of this bubble this libertarian bubble they are they are people who either voted left or voted right they go to work every day they pay their taxes they want the best for their family and they're suddenly in this situation where they can't go to work they're fearful of the jobs blah 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 it, it is a, it's a useless exercise to go well do you know what bitcoin fixes this there's no fucking point saying that. That it's, it's actually hugely insulting to say that to somebody. It's, I'm not even going to raise Bitcoin in this situation. Uh, we can, I can say to them, go well. This is just the government's excuse to give us new law. Again, it's just it's a pointless, pointless time to have that conversation with these people. Right now, they're scared for their jobs. They're scared for their family. They're just scared. I think the best thing you can do in a situation like this is just try and. Try and be very practical and say, okay, we're in this situation. What do people want? What's going to be best? What's not going to be best? I don't think it's. I don't think right now is the time to run the free market libertarian um, uh, uh, project and test to see. Well, how how does the world cope with coronavirus right now? I think that test has to come. And I, right now, there are certain things I'm glad we have a state for. Right now in the UK, in this very single moment, I am glad we have the NHS, and I'm glad the government has done a deal with all the private hospitals to beef up the NHS, to give us more beds and more doctors, because I'm glad that any person right now in this very moment who gets coronavirus is not weighing up the the the, the, uh, the thoughts of, shit, what medical fees am I going to have to pay if I get go to hospital? I mean, I don't know if they've sold that in the US, but... I'm I'm glad we have the NHS right now. The situation ultimately, do I think the NHS is great? Again, I see both sides. I see the I see the libertarian argument against socialized healthcare, and I also see the compassionate side for for a socialized healthcare so everyone can have health. But I think these things are very complicated, and and right now, you can sit there and be a rebel and read your anarcho-capitalistic literature or you can just say look we are in this situation what is the best thing that needs to happen right now yes we should be fearful of a, a state eroding our civil liberties yes yes it's a horrible thought of the police coming up to us in the street and saying get back in your home or you're going to be fined of course that's a horrible thought of course that is uh, anti-freedom it's it, no one no one no person in their right mind thinks that is a great situation but what we don't know with any certainty is if that's the difference between 20,000 dying or 100,000 dying in this country or 100, none of us know. It could be that this is a massive overreaction, but nobody knows. And I don't believe Boris Johnson is sat there with his politicians rubbing their hands going, wahaha, now we've got them. Now we can bring in all these laws and fuck them. If anything, they'd be like, oh shit, this is going to make my re-election very hard i actually think most of them they're going well what a fucking desperate and terrible situation how do we fix this i don't think all politicians are like that i certainly think donald trump is very fearful of the impact on the 2020 election and his reputation and i certainly think there are other politicians who, th who think about their how they're seen 
But I also think many of them right now are just like, this is fucking terrible. What can we do to fix it? And what are your thoughts behind the um, the Dominic Cummings aspect of uh, of him being so close to Johnson? And because you did the Defiance episode with, oh, I can't remember her name, the whistleblower uh, that was involved with uh, Cambridge Analytica and uh, oh, um, Courtney, um, so- Brittany Kaiser, Brittany Kaiser, Brittany Kaiser. Kaiser. That's funny. I had Courtney going to my yeah. head to begin with. <laughs> yeah, Brittany Kaiser. Yeah, um, and you know, like. Um, questionable personality of his and being so close to some, you know, the, the guy that is making the decisions. Talk me through, remind me who Dom, Dominic Cummins is. Sorry. He was the, the, the head of the Brexit campaign and um, was doing all of the insider dealings yes. with uh, Cambridge Analytica and um, realized that that's exactly how to push the narrative of the nation. Um yeah, it's a funny one. The whole Cambridge Analytica one's a funny one. I, I think um, Nick, what's his name? The guy who runs Cambridge Analytica, Nick, I forgot his name. I think if he's fundamentally lost. If he doesn't understand what he's doing wasn't very cool and the way he that Cambridge Analytica influenced people. I had a different view on Brittany Kaiser. I felt this is a 26-year-old whose career was flying. She was flying around the world, going to cool restaurants and mixing with the elites in DC. I think she just got swept up in it all. It's quite an emotional interview, actually, at one point, and I genuinely believed her. Uh, I think she she's open to criticism, but but um, <sighs> the, the the problem with this stuff is is that we have we allow for marketing in political campaigns, and if you allow for marketing, you allow for the tools of marketing, and the, all they did was use the tools that cruise companies are using and airlines are using and and gyms are using they're just using these tools to test messages and see what works and what doesn't sadly is that you have two choices you either say this is wrong and you create a law to stop it and i think if you have to stop it for politics you perhaps have to look about do you stop it for other areas I'm not sure if I'm 100% right here with my analysis. I'd have to really think about that again in the future. But all, all they've done is use the tools that are available to them. And it looks murky and it's ugly. And I actually think, did you watch the documentary, The Great Hack? Yes. Yeah. So I actually thought that the worst thing in that I saw in that was when they changed the election in, what, it was in a Caribbean country. Right. They yes, cr- they created yes. that campaign of and completely swung the whole thing. Yeah, it's the only way they could win the election because it was a, an ele- election based on race, and they swung the election by getting people not to vote. That to me was fucking terrible and, and disgraceful. If you're trying to if you're trying to get somebody to buy a gym membership, you're going to test messages. If you're going to try and win an election, you're going to test messages. They just were eight able to nuclear arm that way of testing messages in and and it went into really kind of murky ways i'm not excusing it i'm just i can see why it happened it was a natural evolution of technology it was kind of the meeting point of facebook technology testing and blah 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 um Cummings, I mean, I don't know enough about him to be hugely critical right in this moment. This is one of those things where to give a really direct response, I'd probably need 10, 15 minutes just to go and uh, 
re-educate myself on all the things he did. It's a really tough thing to ask. I don't want to answer and give something that I don't think I, I don't know if I agree with. Fair enough. Do you understand? Totally. Yeah. Totally. Well, let's bring it back to it Bitcoin. probably a piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bitcoin. Well, yeah. Let's, 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 how do you think, I mean, you, you clearly, uh, you want, you're doing your part trying to raise awareness. Um, I'm always trying to think around, you know, how can we get to, um, th- those people that need the education the most, or at least that need to be jogged into getting the education the most. And I was very impressed this year um, with the fact that uh, Sportsbet.io, we're going to sponsor Watford, have sponsored Watford, and we have the Bitcoin logo on the sleeve. Um, yep. I was in touch with Sportsbet.io. They they turned down an interview, unfortunately, because I thought it would be an interesting um, conversation to have. Still trying to get hold of Watford, so please, Peter, if you can get hold of Scott Duxbury. The- who, 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 I know the sportswear guys. Who do you want to talk to? Uh, it was uh, da, 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 I spoke. Yeah, Tim Heath is the CEO, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'd love to know the decision making behind. Uh, he doesn't like doing interviews, right? <laughs> okay, because I think here we've got two important players. We've got two important people. We've got the uh, the CEO of Watford, and we have the CEO of this company, yeah. and they're clearly. Uh, aligned on some message you know you're filling a stadium full of 50,000 um you know people and you know the, the global audience is just massive i mean i know the guys guys over at sports but i've been to <laughs> fuck do you know it's a funny thing right do you, you know i'm a liverpool fan yeah it's been really expensive to get tickets this season <laughs> really because they've had the most yeah. amazing season they've won every game up until Watford, seasons, I just wasn't able to get tickets. Season's cancelled, so I turn around. And, so it's, it's over. well, not <laughs> yet. So I turned around to my son and I said, "Look, Tom, we, um, I've got tickets for the Watford game." Like thinking we'd won every game apart from one draw against United. We turn up, we lose fucking three 0 It's like, can you believe? How's your luck? Uh, so I mean, I, I mean, I, I can't talk for the Watford chairman, CEO, whatever. They're a football club. They sell sponsorships. They sold a sponsorship. That, that's all I see of that. I, I I give all credit to this, to Sportsbet. I don't know about the inner workings of football clubs and, and uh, their sponsors, but I, I I give all the all the credit here to Sportsbet. This is their project. This is what they wanted to do. Excellent. And, and I, I think it's a cool thing. For sure. But I don't think it's a game changer. You, you, you don't think that's bringing tens of thousands of, of eyeballs into, like, you, you know... Even I think the biggest game changer is what's happening right now. Sadly, I think Bitcoin was born in the financial crisis of two thousand and eight, went on to two thousand and nine. Whether I, I, I struggle to think that that crisis is what is why Bitcoin happened. I think the person, whoever Satoshi is, had to have been working on it for a while. I think it was more like here's proof, um, and now we have another event with rampant money printing which proves to us, it gives us another reason to explain why money printing is bad in a very strange time. <laughs> yeah. We're not giving you an answer there, really. <laughs> you, you might need another question. <laughs> okay. Take another sip of wine. I'll think of one. Um, <clears throat> what I will say is that I have waxed lyrical about Bitcoin to my friends I mean, I've got like a thousand friends on Facebook. Not many of them care. Not many of them give a fuck. I think you have to go through. I think you have to go through pain. 
And I think people are going to go through pain now, but they've got to go through the right pain. It's, explaining Bitcoin to an Argentinian is so easy. Or to a Venezuelan, middle-class Venezuelan, again, is easy. It's Because all you have to do is say, to a middle-class Venezuelan, say, so you've got all these bolivars, convert them into Bitcoin, and then every week, transfer it back to the bolivars you need, and then they avoid that 10% weekly hyperinflation, uh, inflation, which is great for them. That's what they need to do, and they'll learn. I think people in the UK and the US, and we have a relatively stable currency. If you look at it, I mean, the UK has been unstable during Brexit, but it's still relatively stable compared to you know, the bolivar or the, the peso. But I think if people went through real pain, imagine a hyperinflationary event through this. And people who had 50,000 pound of savings, 20,000 pounds of whatever, and that was that was wiped out suddenly. Then you can turn around and say, well, now let me talk to you about Bitcoin and why this wouldn't have happened. I think I think people need pain. They need pain or they need number go up. Yeah, true. I think that's what they need. Yeah, very true. What did it for you? what did it for you? Real vision. Oh, did it? Yeah. Yeah. That's why I wanted to get Raul on the on the show so much because um, I I when they launched I was one of uh, I think I was in week one or week two and wow. very early they had uh, uh, the co-founders Grant and Raul sat down and they were talking about Bitcoin and I'm like what are you really like honestly on like a platform such as this where you're interviewing like uh, hedge fund managers from all over the world and, and people that are running. You know, foreign exchange trading desks, uh, equity sales desks, uh, gold, and you know the, the the quality of their interviews. And then they started bringing a few people on, a few um, like I remember Tur's first uh, appearance. I'm like, what? How how is this kid so young and like so bright and talking about this thing like he knew it inside out already? And then there was uh, a few. Um, just over time, a few of the the, the uh, bigger hedge fund guys started waking up to it, uh, like Mark Hart mm. and Dan Tapiero, and then Mark Yusko. And you're like, what? <laughs> I loved, I love Dan. Mm. Actually, I love Mark as well. I really like Dan. And that's when you know. So that's what woke me up. It was the professionals, right? It was, it was that. And then you know, coming into it from a finance background, you know, being a foreign exchange broker, um, understanding currencies and understanding markets, you just, you see like there's, it's the number go up thing for, for people of my background. It's like, right, this is a yeah. way to store value. This is, this is something I can invest in for a future, you know, I, wife and four kids that's i'm always looking for something to store four value. Kids. <laughs> <laughs> four kids, man. Mm -hmm. Well, kids. So, um, yeah. yeah, that's that's what brought me in. Um, but now, you know, you've probably heard the same story. Uh, over time, um, your mindset changes. The more you learn, the more you listen, the more you read, the more you watch, the more you just feel it. Uh, like, it yeah, I th I'd say for me, it's it's <sighs> it, it was num it was well, it was censorship resistance brought in for me because I wanted to buy something, and then it was number go up. But now I. I'm less number go up. I'm more about greater good. Mm. What can this really do for people? And that's when, uh, uh, you know what? I share, because I find different podcast episodes, I share different podcast, podcast, ugh, excuse me, different podcast episodes to different 
subset standards of friends, uh, which I think is going to resonate with them. And um, your Alex Gladstein interview is the one that I go to, you know, the people I know have got big hearts and understand like more of a macro um, kind of picture of what's going on and uh, like um, authoritarian rule and humanity and, and stuff like that. And I think that's, I think that guy is incredible. Wow. So, yes, he is. He blows my fucking mind. He's the reason Defiance. Really? Well, I'm the reason Defiance started, of course, <laughs> yeah. because I did it. But, like, it wouldn't have happened without him. So what happened was we did that first interview, and after, that was I should have said that. When you asked me earlier about ones that have really changed me, that changed me. That made me think about human rights. And he invited me out to the Human Rights Foundation Freedom Forum in Oslo, and I met all these people who are campaigning for or activists for things in human rights. I was like, this is my world. This is where I want to be. And I said to Alex, I said, I need to do a new show. I really need to do a new show. And then I came up with his name, Defiance, and he wrote the manifesto and then was the first guest. And me and him talk regularly. He's He really shifted my world. He's shifted my world more than any other Bitcoiner. He's really shifted my world in the importance of just being a fucking decent human. Yeah, and you know he doesn't come from markets. He doesn't come from number go up. He doesn't come from, uh, you know, like um, this kind of uh, capitalist. Like what he like, you know. Don't get me wrong. I've never met him. I've listened to three or four of his different podcasts. But every time I listen, it's just like, man, this guy's a different level of just human understanding. And yep. it was Bitcoin. He saw Bitcoin from that avenue. Mm-hmm. That's what brought him to Bitcoin. And then that just starts shifting my mindset. And that was, um, yeah, crazy. You should get him on your show. Alex, I'll help help you with that. Alex, whenever you're ready. (laughs) You email me after this. I'll do that. I'll introduce you. Uh, I'll ask him to do it. I think he'll do it. Um, He he is one of the most underrated, most important people in Bitcoin. And then I know nobody should be important, blah, blah, blah. He's really fucking important because he gets it. He gets beyond number go up. He gets how this can help people, can make the world better. That's so fucking important. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just, it's just a tool of speculation. Now, I, I always ask uh, this question on, on the show. And okay. um, it's, you know, if you, if you could implant your knowledge into one person, your knowledge about Bitcoin, how it's affected you, how it's touched you in every single way, into one person. Oh, God. Who would that one person be so that they could go and share that message with mm. their audience? Who would that be and why? Oh, that's a really good question. I want to be very careful about this and just think for a moment. I feel a lot of responsibility with this question. Take a take a sip of wine, Peter. I'll, I'll, have, a, I'll yeah. have a beer while we wait. <laughs> Who? Thanks for doing this again, by the way. Mm. It's excellent. Cheers. Anytime. I've really, really enjoyed this. Actually, it's been a really. I don't know. I think I think it's it, it's one of those ones where your questions have come at the right time for me to want to answer them in the way I've answered them because. Yeah, strange world. If I could implant my well, people would be like, "Well, his knowledge is fucking stupid." But <laughs> I, I think, I think my practical because I, the way I think my knowledge of Bitcoin isn't. I'm not like the huge tech guy. I'm the guy who thinks about it. Hopefully, in terms a little bit more practical in terms of the general guy. I, I like. I, I want to think of myself as Bitcoin for the common man, right? <laughs> if I can implant my knowledge in someone, who would it be? 
<sighs> I think I would want it to go into somebody like. See, there's a couple of choices. Like, I can pick Snowden. Look, Snowden knows a Bitcoin, but I don't think he cares enough about it. And he knows a bit about cryptocurrency. But again, I don't think he cares that much. I don't think he cares enough. And I'd, I'd like to put it into him because he's the kind of person who could rally around. Do you know what I'll go? I'm going I'm to pick a real fucking cop out. I'm gonna, this is going to sound the right cop out. I would put it in Joe Rogan. <laughs> because I think he is... The, vo- the voice of reason and the not even the voice of reason. He is the, the most – every time I want to say most or best, I always think of the criticism of come. But in terms of media, he's fucking killing it. He's fucking killing it. And I think if he had it and he was talking to people about it and he, he could spread it to so many people, the way he supports comedy or MMA, like he is – he does all these interviews, but he's comedy and MMA. Imagine he was comedy and Bitcoin or MMA and Bitcoin. I'd put it into him because I think he could get it to the people. I think people would listen to him. So, yeah, him or Snowden. That's a really fucking good question, actually. You can use it whenever you like. No, no, yeah, it's your it's question. I'm not going to steal that. <laughs> I, 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 I wish John Vallis is going to steal it, so, you know, you go ahead. <laughs> no, it's your man. I wish you'd have, I wish you'd have told me up front because I, 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 that I felt really a lot of responsibility to answer that well. And I think I, cop, <laughs> I, think I copped out. Uh, I, should I let you into some of the other answers that have been on the show? Yes, please do. Uh, I want to know. Mark Yuskos was um, – like he, he, he didn't miss a beat. He was like, The Rock. Like, just straight in with the rock. And I'm like, what? So here's Mark on the screen, you know, um, like 55, whatever he is, you know, all gray hair and, you know, the rock. That that blew me away. Um, Joe Rogan is a popular answer. People are definitely um, pulling him out. Media. Um, yeah. Um, a few have said Donald Trump just because of his huge reach. Uh, Kanye West has come up a few times. Um then uh, uh, who else was um, oh, Greta Thunberg, which uh, I discussed with um, Knuts von Holm, which um, is an interesting one for me because he, he reversed the question back on me and I just wasn't ready for it. And I immediately thought of her because I've got three young daughters and uh, like her reach at the moment is in the you know, tens, fifties, hundreds of millions, who knows, but it's that demographic I think is really, really important. So if we could, you know, get, eight to 15 year olds thinking about Bitcoin uh, in an educated way. I think that would be brilliant. But I saw a tweet the other day and I tagged you in it Mm -hmm. because it was from um, Martin Lewis, the money saving expert in the UK. Yeah. I remember you. Yeah. I remember you tagged me. And I'm thinking, God damn it. You know, whenever I ask this, right, nothing. But whenever I ask it, but is he though? Because like he could, he, I mean, he might he, be able he, to explain nah, it to boomers. Now nah, his reputation is based on the current system with little risk. If you get a credit card at zero percent, you can borrow this right. money, and it's like it's, he can't suddenly say, "Well, buy Bitcoin." Like if everyone bought Bitcoin, it dropped twenty percent. They would like, "Fuck you, him." He's he's low <laughs> risk. He's he's the wrong guy. I don't think he would get it. I no, think well, you, you, you need media. You need big media people, freedom fighters, people at the UN, politicians. You need people who genuinely 
see what this can do for humanity right or media people but martin lewis i think he i think he'd be too risky i just want it in as many people's hands as possible before it gets adopted by you know um like governments or or banks or you know hedge funds or whatever else i just want the dude listen everyone's had the chance uh, as i whenever as i travel whether i'm meeting someone randomly or 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 a, or a girl on Tinder, and they say, what do you do? And I say, I've got a Bitcoin podcast. Nobody ever says, I don't know, what's Bitcoin? Everyone fucking knows what Bitcoin is. Everyone's had the chance. It's, really? Everyone knows what it is. Like, yeah. Right. I mean, not not everyone, <laughs> but like we have mass, people talk about mass adoption. We have mass awareness. People have heard of it. It's up to them now. Might be another 10 years. It might be... Over the next two years, with all this crazy coronavirus shit, who knows? But yeah, exactly. People have had their chance. All right, man. Well, I think we've probably uh, run the course of this yeah, awesome dude. interview. Um, I I've... love this, man. I really, <laughs> really enjoyed this. If I can do anything to help you, please do let me know. Oh, uh, any kind of um, any kind of retweet or like, anything like that. Just um, just basic stuff, and um, really, it's done. This this is enough, man. You, you've given up like an hour and a half of your time, and you you, you spoke Jeez, to my I've daughter. I've got so much fucking time at the moment. <laughs> I, 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 I'm going to take you up on the invite. Me, my son, and daughter. We're going to come down to the door door. I'm going to come and drink wine with you. And get you so drunk that your wife's going to be upset. Yeah, <laughs> I actually showed her. I showed her that picture. No, you took that that selfie video. You were in some club or something. I don't know where the hell you were. And uh, you had um, oh, which one's that? It was. Uh, I think the caption was um, Bedford is Ibiza or something, and you were just standing there. Oh, God. <laughs> God, that place is awful. Yeah. <laughs> but we'll come and visit. We'll come, I'd come and see you. Of course I will. Excellent. We'll come and see you in the summer. Well, we'll come and see you when this shit's over. Let's do that. All right, man. That'll be my first my first trip when this is done. Come down, go for some jogs out out, out in the uh, out in the fields and, and uh, drink some good wine, yeah? Absolutely, 100%. I'll hold you to it. All right, my man. Thanks very much, Peter. Hey guys, uh, thank you, thank you for listening. Huge thank you to Peter for agreeing to come on the show, and I hope um, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did, uh, because uh, you know, it's, uh, like I said in the in the interview, it's pretty surreal to uh, to see Peter on the other side of the screen and get the chance to um, have a drink with him, uh, a virtual drink. Uh, you know, many of the interviews have been with guys uh, based over in the states. So, you know, it's early, early morning or just um, midday for those guys. So we don't get to share a beer. So this was, um, this was a real treat. And, you know, we, we got to talk about uh, not, not just Bitcoin, right? Like lots of things to, to, to discuss there and get a real insight into, into Peter's personality and, um, you know, how he's thinking about the world. And hopefully you know, give, give you um, a better understanding of uh, his personality. I certainly got one. Um, you know, it's it's very easy to judge people via their, their tweets and their Twitter. Um, but, uh, you know, like deep down, there's a very caring person. And he's uh, he's trying to do good in the world in the, uh, in the best way that he can. And I think it's really interesting that, you know, out of his Bitcoin podcast has, you know, he, he spun off another one, his Defiance podcast. And that is all about these, you know, the, the different um, problems in the world that, uh, 
you know, a gun, they're not going unnoticed per se, but they're, they're certainly going, you know, just getting brushed over on the evening news doesn't give us any kind of real insight as to what's going on. And obviously Peter is feeling this, this huge urge to, to look into these things and try and help us all understand and educate ourselves a little bit deeper than, you know, just that 30 second clip on the, on the news. Um, I've watched both of his, his recent uh, television shows. I urge you to go and check those out because I think they're, they're really good considering this is a first time run out. So they're only going to get better. And yeah, just, just huge thanks again to, to Peter. Um, I can't believe, you know, people like, uh, like Peter are, are happy to come on the show and, and discuss such inner thoughts and, and feelings. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm completely uh, blown away. Uh, if you, if you want to reach out to, to Peter, um, go find him on Twitter, um, or find his, uh, his website, what Bitcoin did and, uh, and say, hi, he's really, you know, good at getting back to as many people as he possibly can. Yeah. No, not much more to say from me. Uh, a very humbling, uh, experience and, uh, and thanks again. Thank you everybody here that, uh, is listening to these shows and, sharing sharing the links out on twitter or with their friends that's that's going a, a long way to help um spread the word and, and help more people start learning about uh, bitcoin and what it could mean for for you uh, and your families and your future so thank you thank you very much uh, thanks for listening and uh, reach out on twitter with any further questions really appreciate it Take care. Goodbye.